Are you struggling to create engaging content for your B2B brand? Let Podcast Town help. Our expert services will help you develop a successful content marketing strategy, making your brand stand out and increase revenue. With our guidance, you'll create quality content that resonates with your audience and builds brand loyalty. Visit our website at podcasttown.net to learn more and to get started today. We help you launch, grow, and maximize. What's up, Enterprisers? Welcome to another episode of the Enterprise Now podcast, where we shape the mindset of the high achiever to think like an entrepreneur. We talk with masters of the craft to get the cheat codes to success, helping elite enterprisers level up and maximize their brand. I'm your host, LZ, the mayor. Now let's get to it. Jen, so happy to have you. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you, and I'm very happy to be here. So the first thing we always like to do, Jan, is we like to have fun on Enterprise Now. So can I get an oh yeah? <laughs> oh yeah, you can. Nice. So where are you in the world, Jan? I'm in the southern part of England, so I can, on a clear day, I can see France. I'm right down on the coast. Awesome, awesome. See, at the time of this recording, we're Wisconsin, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and the weather is fantastic. It's nice out by our our standards. Folks who are coming from other places might disagree, but so it's great out. So, well, let's let's hop right into it. What do you do, and how did you get to where you are? Let's give give us the two minute version. The two minute version is: I started off a very long career selling. I built a business, um, well, I built several businesses in small ways and one business in a big way through selling. And when I'd had enough of that, I turned into an author and I now write about entrepreneurship. And I'm just about to release my second book, but I have one out now. So let's let's dig into that a little bit. I talk to entrepreneurs, business owners on a daily basis, and the reoccurring theme is you have to know how to sell. Do you agree with that statement? I do, I do. I think I was so blessed to have been an appalling employee, which I was. I loved your bio when I read it, because like you, I sort of bounced from job to job at the beginning of my career. But, you know, you learn so much that way. You know, you also pick up those sales skills and those people skills. Without that ability to sell, you know, you're really, really up against it. I mean, there's a downside to it, but without the sales skills, it's twice as hard to relate to people, both your customers and everybody else. You know, you've got to promote a vision and that requires some degree of sales skills. So, and I thousand percent agree as well. I've found that whether I'm an employee or a leader in an organization or an entrepreneur, I'm always selling. I'm always getting buy-in. I'm always presenting things and ideas to people in a way that gets them on board. So having the skill set of selling is, is, to your point, extremely important. Now, let's get a little bit more granular. What does that mean to be good at selling? What does that mean? What, what are the, the top two things, right, that a great salesperson has in their tool belt? 
to me, I mean, sales has changed a lot over the many, many years I've been doing it. But to me now, I think the two most important things, still resilience and empathy. You know, you have to keep going and you have to be self-motivated. And so that's where the resilience comes in. You have to make yourself do lots of research and really get the data on your client and get to know them so you don't waste your pitching. But also, I think these days, you know, you're not talking about the sort of selling that used to go on of, you know, hey, look at my product, I'm wonderful. You're looking at actually communicating with people having empathy with pain points or their desires, whichever it is, but but relating to their emotions, and that takes empathy. Do you think that the direction, I agree, I think that the selling has changed, right? It's a lot more about people doing business with people as opposed to products and services. Do you think we're overall, we're doing a good job at it? Do you think that we could stand to have some lessons in empathy and selling? What's your take on the direction of selling? Because I think it's universally true that things have changed. I'm just curious to get your take on how are we handling that change? I think you're absolutely right. I think it has changed hugely. But on the other hand, There are still so many people who are failing to use even fairly basic sales skills. I'm sure you do as well. I get approached on LinkedIn. You know, please, can I connect? Yeah, why? You know, I'm waiting for it. And sure enough, next email before anything else. Well, you know, why don't we sell you this, you know? No, I don't know you from Adam. You don't know me from Adam. (laughs) You know, why they're still doing that? The failure rate must be colossal, and it's not hard to do business, particularly business-to-business sales, B2B sales. You know, it's about building relationships and getting to know people and not even bothering to pitch if it's not a match. It's okay not to pitch. (laughs) If you're not going to get the work, it's better not to pitch. Mm-hmm. I found and my personal approach is the farmer mentality. I love to cultivate. I love to plant seeds. I love to, you know, to nurture the relationships and, and watch them grow. And then at some point, if what we do, what I do matches what they need, then they think of me. Honestly, that's the long way around. I feel sometimes, but I think that's the deeper, more authentic way around. And I think it's also what creates lasting, valuable relationships that will pay out off 10 million times more in the long run. You know, you might hit a lucky sale doing short-term stuff. They're not going to feel involved with you. They're not going to feel responsible towards you or or friendship towards you. You know, albeit even a business friendship, but there just won't be a relationship there. It'll be a quick transactional thing only. Whereas what you're talking about is absolutely right. And, you know, you're talking about a complementary relationship where both parties develop and benefit. And that's what lasts the course. So what are some tips that you have over the years, things that you've done and do that has set you apart as as a great seller? Making the assumption that you're a great seller because you're here. You have persevered and you're persistent and you're doing great business. So I'm making that assumption that that's because you're great at what you do and you're an awesome seller. 
Well, well, thank you. I do think per- perseverance has got a lot to it. I mean, we all get days where we get absolutely nowhere. For non-salespeople, I think, are more prone to thinking that's it, it's pointless, it's no good. But true salespeople know that by keeping going, they will get there. So I do think perseverance is high on the list. I think listening is huge. It used to be when I was interviewing for for a sales team, I'd say, what do you think the most important skill is for a salesperson? And virtually nobody ever said listening, whereas I would have done, because if you don't listen to your clients or customers, depending on what business you're in, if you don't listen to those people, how on earth are you ever going to know what they actually need and relate to those needs? It's crazy, you know. So I think listening skills is right, right up there. And a skill of drawing out and being interested in people so as you get them to talk, I think is also important. Very, very different from the old skills we I was taught when we were young, you were probably much, much too young, you know, to shove stuff onto people, whatever. It's about getting them to talk and to listening to it now. So what are you listening for specifically? Do you have key questions that you're asking? And don't give away the farm. Is there a framework that you use? Because I hear you when you say you want to listen, but I'm thinking that's probably a little bit more strategy than that, than than just listening, right? You want to listen for key things. Give some tips. What are we listening for specifically? Well, of course, yeah, I probably was generalizing because you've got to bear in mind that I'm lucky and I interview a lot of people now. And so then, of course, you are just listening and chatting to people and drawing them out. If you're selling something like I did in the old days, I agree, it's got to be slightly more specific. You've got to draw them out on finding out what matters to them. What, if you're selling B2B, what in their business are the points that would be helpful to find a solution for, their pain points, as as we call them, where are they not getting solutions at the moment? What would they like to happen? All those sort of things reveal opportunities. You know, even if it's not what you do at the moment, you can refine what you do to suit them if it's economic and sensible to do so. But it's listening to what's going on with their business, even if it's only listening to what's going on in their market, you're still adding to your knowledge of what's going on, which will mean you're more informed when you talk to other people and more able to go back to them with something intelligent and useful to say later. There is no such thing as as wasted knowledge. I used to annoy everybody when I was running a business. I would write such copious notes about any conversation I had with a client from where they'd been on holiday to their children's schools or whatever. That built that relationship. So I felt I knew them very well and they felt they knew me. And it was really interesting because I did it all on the phone. And yet I found, after I'd done it for a few years, people would say, oh, see you next time you're in. And I'd never been there. But they felt they knew me so well, they assumed that we'd had a personal face-to-face relationship at some stage. And that's what you're aiming to do, I think. Got it. Let's talk personal mastery for a bit. We mentioned perseverance a couple of times. To say a word is one thing. To understand that you should do a thing is another. But to actually do it, 
it's a whole nother ball game. How were you able to take that concept, that idea of, of perseverance and actually action it? I was very strict with myself always. I mean, I had a regular set number of phone calls to make of different types, be it new phone calls, catch-up calls, whatever. But I had a regular number to do in my diary every single day. And however, I didn't much want to do them. I would hit that number. Occasionally, I cheated and picked somebody I'd rather do from the next day if I was really desperate. But that number got done. And I think that's what it comes down to. It comes down to that bit of discipline. Mm -hmm. You took the word right out of my mouth. I was just going to say discipline. So what else do you employ in terms of the personal mastery side to continue in success? Because winning one game is great. I'm a Bucks fan. We're here in the in Milwaukee and last uh, 2021, they won it all. But in 2022, they didn't. So winning once is great. How do you stay on top of it? and continue to bring the discipline and showing up the same even when you don't feel like it. That is the challenge. It's tough to to keep on going and I think for me I actually find it easier on my own. I find it harder when I had a team because it was all sorts of different challenges that you had to do. But when you're on your own I think just having that discipline is in the numbers game is is probably enough but you have to also look at the result side you know it's no use making 10 lousy calls every single day and never getting a sale you know you have to check the metrics of the quality of results you're getting and if it's not working you've got to work out why and reassess but keeping going will get you there mm -hmm. so what do you do mentally right because being a business owner entrepreneur it's more sexy now than it used to be. But in this sexiness, it's hard. It is not easy. <laughs> it's physically taxing. It's mentally taxing. It could be emotionally difficult. How do you navigate that? I found it incredibly hard and, and it got harder over the years because I, I fell into the big trap that I think for salespeople there is as an entrepreneur. You know, we've got so many strengths and so much going for us. And that understanding of sales puts us in such a good stead. But we're also addicted to the sales result. So we tend to get over-enthused and it's very easy to sell too much, to keep on going. But there's another contract. And, if it, you know, gosh, it's so exciting. And I'll just go after that one as well and not look at the rest of the business, whereas the rest of the business is on their knees with exhaustion. And you're still chasing more work. <laughs> and I think I, I've heard a lot of business owners fall into that one from sales background. I think that's one of the really hard things for salespeople to manage. But I agree that all-round entrepreneurship challenge now is just huge. And I think that comes from all sorts of things. I think it comes from, we've got pressurized times, we've got pressurized economic times, we've got the reputation of entrepreneurship, We've got the comparative thing of, you know, there are all these successful entrepreneurs out there. Well, are there? You don't know, do you? It's, you know, you haven't got uh, privy to their everyday life or probably their account. But, you know, in theory, you're, you know, you see yourself as not as good as so-and-so all the time. 
And I think all those things, it's become harder to be a leader. It may be more suited to you to be nicer and more empathetic and supportive and serving of your people. But it's, it's a tougher role than going, oh, you go away and do that, <laughs> you know, which was fairly simplistic and the old style leadership. But to really somehow find the time and the energy and the commitment to absolutely give your all to your people at the same time as running a business is just an enormous challenge, I agree. Mm-hmm. I always think of it as giving. And that's why I think it's super important for you, for people to be passionate about what they do and operate in purpose, because it can be thankless sometimes, right? The little things that people don't see that you do, that you're giving of yourself, your time, your energy, it can be thankless. And, and I always say, if you're not willing to give without any expectation of anything in return, then you may want to check to make sure that you're giving in the right places. So that way, you know, when you don't get the thank you, when you don't get the appreciation, it's par for the course because you realize that you're giving because you want to give and not necessarily get any, in, getting anything in return. It's always great when you get the thank you. I appreciate the fact that you're providing a paycheck to me and I can feed my family. But it's not your job to monitor that. And so, and so emotionally, right, I think ways to sort of navigate that area of business because it can be emotionally draining. Enormously so. I think that's really wise advice. And I think... Now, much more than ever, entrepreneurs need an incredibly good support system because they are going to be drained to empty point on a regular basis. And unless they have that good network that picks them up again, helps them refill, you know, they're going to be in trouble. Yeah. We talked about how things are shifting, how things are changing. What are some of the things that you think, ways that you operate that might be considered counter to what most people would say? Maybe it's a a saying, maybe it's a way you do business, maybe it's your outlook. I mean, again, I now now write full time. I'm very lucky. When I was in business, I think it was interesting. Looking back detachedly, it was interesting. Um, Because when I first started, I was incredibly ignorant about business. You know, I really didn't know anything from anything. And I was also phenomenally busy. I was a single parent. And so trying to get a business off the ground with two small children, you know, there is no time for anybody else or anything else. So I didn't network. So I hadn't a clue what standards were going on anywhere else, what I should be doing. And that ignorance was semi-protective in a funny sort of way. Because there wasn't any opportunity to find out that I was doing it all wrong. And some things I was doing right, but actually at the time, I was probably ahead of a bit ahead of the time. And it was odd that when I started to get advice, when the business grew and you start getting all these people coming at you saying, you know, oh, I sell wonderful coaching or I sell wonderful consulting or whatever. And... Of course, one of the sales pitches is, you know, you obviously need it. So you start thinking, oh, am I that bad? Am I really bad? Oh, gosh, I don't know anything at all. And in a funny sort of way, it makes you lose your nerve um, and you get a lot worse and you start a lot more self-doubt and a lot more lack of just generally imposter syndrome, lack of confidence in one thing and another, which 
I don't think you necessarily have when you're left alone because you're just concentrating on what you're doing and you learn by error. And it's, I find it very easy to admit that I mess up because I do regularly. But I don't, you know, I also find it easy to lose my nerve. I think as an expert in the field tells me I'm doing things wrong. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned before, early on in your career, you did some things right and you did some things wrong. Unfortunately, it's human nature to always go to the negative. So I'm just curious, what were the the wrong things (laughs) that you did early (laughs) on in your career? I think, I mean, I, like I said, I was, I was incredibly ignorant. I didn't really have a strategy for scaling up. You know, I just grew the business and thought, this is nice. I've got lots of work on. We'll keep on growing without actually understanding what, what was involved in scaling up. So it got very chaotic very quickly. I think that is a brief summary of what I learned it's a nasty shock, you know, because you just think, oh, well, you know, if if we do twice as much, we'll do twice as well. But you don't. <laughs> so let's unpack that. Unpack because I'm in my mind, I'm imagining, right, you're growing in sales, but then maybe we're not you know, paying attention to operations and maybe our costing isn't quite where it needs to be. So I'm just curious, any lessons that way where you realized, okay, maybe I should have invested in training my people and having manuals and training procedures in place. I'm curious, was that part of the learning? I did try and do that one, actually. But I mean, of course, because it was so difficult because I didn't have the right people at all. I was tending to write them at two in the morning, which probably affected their quality. But I think I didn't invest in the right quality people. There comes a time when you grow that you need some people who ideally are better than you, who are going to drive the business forward. And I had people who'd been working for me and I thought, you know, they're lovely people. They've been here since the beginning. And so they must be, yeah, that'll, yeah I can see you by your face. You've heard about one before now. And it's such an easy mistake to make. And of course, they've got no experience, even less than you of, of running a business or leave alone driving it forward or scaling it or anything. So you're constantly in trouble. That's a really good point. And it brings up, we talked earlier about empathy. We talked about really understanding people, what drives them, what motivates them. But at the end of the day, as the leader, the CEO, founder, owner of the business, you have to do what's in the best interest of the business. So hypothetically, right, you're running this business and you realize you get to the point where you're growing, you need different people. What if the people who are who have started with you from the beginning no longer fit the best interests of the business? How do you begin to wrap your mind about, around having that conversation where it's like, okay, you've been here from the beginning, but your skill set no longer fits the needs of the business? Is that a decision that you make? And again, this is hypothetical, but shed some light on that. What do you do in that situation? I think it's really hard and I got it very wrong. You know, I had two people particularly from the beginning who were lovely people, very much craftspeople, not managers. They managed to a certain size just because they were so nice that people wanted to do well for them. But they struggled with management. They struggled with all of it. They didn't actually really want to do it. And yet 
there was an element in them that was going, but hold on, you know, we're the ones that have been here from the beginning. And it would have taken very skilled negotiation to manage to make them feel valued enough to stay in their roles and bring other managers in. For me, it would have required two things. It would have required finding the right people who would understand that and come in and also value them without treading on their toes, but take over the management and nurture them and make them feel terribly valued, which, as I say, I never did. And also, I would have to do that to, to support both them and the newcomer or newcomers. I would have needed a lot more investment. And at that stage, I wasn't mentally capable of the mindset of of changing the business and because I'd always bootstrapped into needing substantial investment which helped back the growth I would have needed to do that to pay for good enough quality people Mm -hmm. that's interesting because I think a, a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with that this is oftentimes they're the founder this is their baby something that they grew from conception right to reality and now it grows to the point where to your point It needs different things, and that's very hard to bootstrap, right? Sometimes you need that cash injection or that, or and or revenue in order to pay the people who require the value that they bring. So that's a a, what we call a pickle. It's a hard, it's a a hard situation. It it was indeed a pickle. Let's talk a little bit more about people. And uh, I've done over the years a lot of work on what I call self mastery, understanding what makes me tick, what I like, what I don't like, and being honest about what I'm good at, what I suck at, what I enjoy. And the cool thing is it changes constantly. You know, at, at 40, it's completely different than it was at 30 even. I'm curious to know from you, because I heard you kind of went through the gambit. You were by yourself, then you had a team, and now you're sort of back at the beginning of, in some ways where you've done some work to realize, okay, I prefer this over that. So talk about that a little bit in that journey of, of self-discovery, if you will. Yeah, I think it was, I mean, you're right, it's almost a full circle, though I still always, even when I had a team, I did my best work. It's probably why I did keep on working at two in the morning at home or four in the morning at home and ended up burnt out. But, you know, I did my best work when everybody went away and left me in peace. <laughs> you know, So that was quite tricky. And I think that's one of the struggles for an entrepreneur because you want to work on the business or you try and pick up other people's work or whatever and yet the daytime time has to be spent on the people i think that's tricky i mean i think i was a uh, happy and effective up to a certain time but i think that had a lot to do with motivation i was bringing up the children i did start the business to give them a future so when they got to a certain age and were making their own futures i wasn't as motivated and it didn't make me as happy So, whereas I've always enjoyed, well, actually loved writing and I'd always wanted to be an author and it's sort of my time now, if you like. Got it. Was there a moment that you realized? Because again, more seasoned, I'll get, I get, I'll say it that way. I don't do anything that doesn't bring me joy anymore. If, if I wake up on Monday and I dread doing it, I stop. (laughs) Right. Um, Was there a moment where you came to the, or you're like, you know what? 
I don't want to work with you people. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. Was there was there a moment or was it sort of a of a process? There were regular moments. <laughs> lots that. of moments. <laughs> <laughs> and it took me several years actually to make that shift because I did think it regular. And I would then think one of two things. I'd either think, oh, but it's sensible. I've got my retirement to think about. And what else would I do? That was one head. The other head was, oh, but I've got to because of the people here. So I swung, because of those two things, I swung to, I really don't want to be here anymore, to, well, tough luck, I've got to be, which is not enough to keep you inspired. Well, what else can we talk about? We talked about thought leadership. We talked about personal mastery. We talked a little bit about your story. What the heck does all that have to do with business, Jan? Is that all related? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's absolutely key. I think, you know, we were talking about self-mastery and self-development to some extent and getting to know yourself. And I think now one of the biggest and most important things for any entrepreneur is self-development. If you don't actually prioritize yourself and develop your skills, protect your mental health, become more and more of a leader every day you know a founder is not a leader or, or very rarely uh, certainly a first-time founder has an awful long way to go to turn themselves into a visionary leader you know so that's going to take time and devotion and effort and mean sacrificing other things and certainly giving up you know doing lists of what people need to do or whatever that prioritizing of self-development and your personal journey to, to keep aligned with the business so that the business is aligned with you and your capabilities are aligned with it is, I think, absolutely key. And it comes out from our, that discussion we've been having. You said something. That, that might be the quote of our time together. You said that founders oftentimes don't start off as visionary leaders. Unpack that. I'm just wondering how many founders are going to shoot me for that one. (laughs) Um, I think it's rare, you know, I really do, you know, because people start businesses for all sorts of different reasons, as you know. They might start because they've got a brilliant idea or because they're brilliant at developing software or because they want freedom from having a boss or the art of delusion, they're going to be rich overnight occasionally. You know, but all these reasons, different reasons, they start. And that doesn't equate to being a leader. Even if it's a great idea, I mean, even if it's a great idea, it doesn't mean it's going to sell because it might have nothing to do with anything anybody wants. So, you know, you've got to become this visionary, become this person that's going to sell why your business exists, what services it's going to do to the people involved, the stakeholders, possibly to humanity. And you've got to excite people with that vision. And just because you're a wonderful developer doesn't make you into somebody that can fire people up. So, yeah, I think you've got to develop a different skill set. Wow, we could probably do another entire episode just on that concept of uh, <laughs> founder versus visionary leader and what a leader is, because 
a lot of people are confused <laughs> about what being an yes, owner of are. a company and a leader is. They're not the same. Totally different. <laughs> that is not the same thing. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you, you can own a company, but nobody wants to work for you and nobody wants to invest in it. A leader gets people behind the company and passionate to be involved. Great. So I'm going to hold back my curiosity because, again, we could talk at least another two episodes just on that topic. So, Jen, thank you so much for the time. If people want to reach out to you to uh, learn more about what you do and what your, your newest project, how can they do that? They can indeed. I'd love to hear from anybody listening. I have a website, which is just jancavell.co.uk. As you know, I'm in the UK. It's very easy to remember. And I, but project-wise, I've got a new book coming out in January. So uh, sign up for news of that and you'll be all kept up to date. You'll be one of the first people to hear details of it and get involved with it. You know, I would love to hear anything you've got to ask. Just drop me an email. Awesome, awesome. Thank you again, Jan. My pleasure. If you got value from today's show, we want you to join the Enterprises Elite email list for more nuggets and resources. And remember, no excuses, just execution. Go get it. What a fantastic episode. Hey, listen, I want to know something. What is the top concern that you have in your business? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it finance? Operations? Shoot me an email, mayor at podcasttown.net. I want to start a conversation around these areas of business and how we can work together and help each other shine even brighter.